0: This is Anne Graham Lotz. God is looking for good men and women. He's looking for those who believe that what He says is more important than what anyone else says. Extraordinary men and women. Another Noah. Another Esther. Another Abraham. Are you what He's looking for?
1: Thank you for joining us for Living in the Light with speaker and author Anne Graham Lotz. Anne is presenting a series of messages from the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham. It's her desire that this in-depth study series of the life of Abraham will encourage you to pursue knowing God and making Him known that He will become your magnificent obsession. Now here's Anne with today's message from Genesis chapter 19. In chapter 19
0: we pick up as these two men, these angels disguised as men, come into Sodom. And Lot's sitting there in the city gate, and he sees these two men coming. And he doesn't realize, I don't think that they're angels, but he knows that they're not sodomites, and they're strangers. And so he jumps up, and he says, please come to my home for dinner. Come stay in my home tonight. And the man says, no, we really are on assignment. We're going to walk through Sodom and see what's going on. And Lot says, oh, no, don't do that. Please come to my home and spend the night. No, we're going to walk. Th- oh, please, I insist. And Lot insisted that they come to his home because he knew the streets in Sodom weren't safe at night. And so these two men came into his home, and Lot served them dinner. And after dinner, there's this enormous commotion at the door, banging, screaming, yelling. And Lot goes outside, and there's a gay rights demonstration at his door. And everybody demonstrating for their right to sin. And lot says in verse 6 of chapter 19 he goes outside to meet them and he says no my friends look at that these people were the ones he played golf with and played cards with and did business with and these were his neighbors these were his friends no my friends don't do this wicked thing because these people outside his door were demanding that lot send the strangers out to them so they could harm them. And Lot said, don't do this wicked thing. And then Lot, to show you how far his standard of righteousness had lowered, said, I have two unmarried daughters. You can have them, but don't hurt these men because they've claimed protection under my roof. Can you imagine anything as disgusting as that? And you think you would never stoop that low, but you know something, when you drift from God and you stop reading his word, and you measure yourself by the people that live around you, pretty soon our standards get lower and lower and lower. But God's standards haven't changed. And so a Lot has lowered his standards to the point it offer his daughters, and they wouldn't accept that, and so the strangers in his home pulled him back inside, shut the door, kept the men outside from breaking down the door, and they said, "Lot, judgment is coming. God's going to destroy this place. You go tell your family. And let me go back to the friends for a minute, because this is what the friends said to him in verse 9. They said, get out of our way. You've come here as an alien. Now you want to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And do you see the way his friends turned on him? And you think you have friends in the world and they're really wonderful friends and you do business and you play golf and you do all of these things, but oh, listen to me. Amos said, two people can't walk together unless they're agreed. And in your heart, if that person doesn't also belong to Christ, then how can you be best friends with a person like that? Because sooner or later, the rubber will hit the road and they'll make their choice. And Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Lot lost his friends. And then we see him losing his family because the strangers pull him back in the house. They say, judgment is coming. If you have any family in Sodom, warn them that judgment is coming. So Lot goes and he runs to tell his sons-in-law. Really, they're men that are engaged to marry his daughters in verse 12. And the two men told him, go tell your sons-in-law, anyone else because we're going to destroy this place and in verse 14 lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters he said hurry get out of this place because the lord is about to destroy this city but his sons-in-law thought he was joking lot (laughs) you know if there is a god in heaven and if he's so important you would have told us about him before and if there was really an accounting for our sin, if there was going to be judgment for sin, you wouldn't have been living the way you've been living. And so, Lot, you know, we think you're just hysterical, and maybe that gay rights demonstration has upset you, so go home, turn on the TV, get something to drink, just chill out. You'll feel better in the morning. If we raise our children by our example, to say that God is not first in our lives, That God is just not important enough to really leave everything behind and let everything go for. You know the message our children get get is that he's not important at all. And the little bit of faith maybe we had in our generation is going to be lost in the next generation. And Lot's sons-in-law thought he was joking. They wouldn't believe him. And so the angels, he went back to tell them you couldn't get his sons-in-law and... In verse 15 with the coming of the dawn the angels urged lot saying hurry take your wife and the two daughters that are here or you'll be swept away when the city is punished and look at verse 16 when he hesitated he just couldn't let go and so the angels had to literally drag him out of the city with his two daughters and with his wife and they come out of the city and the angel said, don't look back, just shake the dust off your feet and get out of there. And Lot's wife looked back, longing for Sodom, all of her beautiful things, her beautiful home, her beautiful friends. She'd worked so hard to position herself in the community and she came under God's judgment. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife because she despised God's gracious offer of salvation. And there's something not only to take to heart, but something to motivate us as we share God's Word. And as we teach the Scriptures, these people sometimes who come with people, or a friend who comes with a friend, or a wife of somebody, or a husband of somebody, and, and they seem to be on the periphery, oh, we need to bring them into the kingdom. Or, they despise God's salvation. They're going to come under judgment. And Lot's own wife came under judgment. He lost his family, and all the other extended family members in Sodom. So he lost his friends, he lost his family, he lost his fortune. Verse 24, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. You know, the cities where he had wanted to live and the pleasures and the prestige and the position, all that he had built up. And he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and the vegetation, the land, the pasture land that Lot had grabbed for himself. It's all gone totally destroyed he lost his friends he lost his family he lost his fortune lot lost his future do you know the way he ended up this is disgusting he ended up in a cave with his two daughters in an incestuous relationship his grandsons were his sons moab and ammon and god said they were so wicked that when he gave the law to moses he said you won't allow a moabite or an ammonite into my presence until the 10th generation Lot lost everything. So when you get worried or feel a little put out by the lots in your life, the monkeys around you, in your class, in your family, in your business, in your neighborhood, would you remember Lot? He was successful. He was prominent. He had built up a reputation. He had what he wanted. But in the end, it turned to ashes in his hand, literally abraham on the other hand separated from it all he just let it all go separated from the world and paul says in corinthians that we are to be separate come out from among them and i think that's for our own benefits and what i mean you know i know we live in the world so i want to say that before somebody misunderstands me we live in the world we work in the world Our children go to school in the world. We minister in the world. But I'm talking about going into the world and living in the world for your own fulfillment, your own pleasure, your own satisfaction. You know where you cross the line, and pretty soon you're wanting the world more than you want the things of God. You might not admit it, but you can see it in the decisions you make. Paul says to come out from among them. Be separate, and we need to separate from it because everything that's immersed in it is going to be lost. It has no eternal value at all. God may not rain down fire and brimstone on it, but not now. But there's coming a day when everything is going to be burnt up. And it's going to be lost. So what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Because your soul is going to last and the world is passing away. Abram separated from Sodom. Chapter 13, going back to verse 11. After Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan, set out from the east, the two men parted company. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities. In verse 14, God came to Abraham, and I think Abraham is sitting in the tent, in the desert, under the tree, and he knows where Lot's gone, and he knows the way Lot's living, and he knows that Lot has become wealthier, more prominent, built up your reputation now an important person on the city council in sodom and Lot's sitting there and he's let it all go and he's the man of god who's been called of god to be a blessing for god and he has nothing just a tent in the desert alone you ever feel like that as you look at the lots in your life the monkeys around you And they seem to have so much. And you're the one who's been right before God. And you've put him first. And you've embraced that magnificent obsession. And you've left everything behind and you've let everything go in order to know God and to make him known and receive his blessing that you might be a blessing. And you wind up in a tent under a tree in the desert all by yourself. Does it hurt? I think Abraham was a little hurt feeling somehow like he'd gotten walked over. And Lot had abused him and used him. And God comes to Abram. And he says, right at that time when Lot had parted company, you know, it's so sweet. God knows what time it is in our lives. And he knew Abram was sitting there wondering. I've gotten walked over. What do I have to show for it? And God says, Abram, you lift up your eyes (laughs) from where you are. And you look north and south and east and west. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. If anyone could count the dust, your offspring will be counted. Go. Walk through the length and breadth of the land. For Abraham, I'm giving it to you. You just can't outgive God. Jesus said in Matthew 19 that whoever forsakes houses, land, sisters, brothers, you know, whatever, for my sake will receive in this life and the next, a hundredfold. And you may not get it back exactly the way you gave it up, but he's going to pour out his blessing on you. Lot lost everything. He insisted on getting what he wanted. And in the end, he lost it all. Abraham was willing to let go of what he might have wanted. And in the end, he got it all. Do you see? You're willing to lose your life, you find it. If you're not willing to lose your life, You're going to lose it in the long run. Abraham was willing to give it all up. I want to close just with a little story. I haven't told this in a while. I love to tell it because it's so precious. I don't ever want to forget this story in my life. It happened almost 20 years ago now. I'd gone to Amsterdam. I was planning to go to speak at the International Congress on Evangelism and before I went, I was planning with a friend who was also going, and we were going to make the trip together, and after we'd been at the conference in Amsterdam, we are going to take a week, and we are going to go down through Germany and Europe and just sightsee. And so we'd made our plans together and made our reservations and our arrangements, and uh, I had two of my children with me. Jonathan went with me and my daughter, Morrow, and Jonathan had a friend. Actually, Jonathan went about six weeks before me to work at the Congress and with his friend. And then Morrow and I came later, and we joined them for the Congress. And we went through that week, and Jonathan and his friend working so hard. And I just told him, I said, Jonathan, don't spend your money this week. Not that he would have time because he was working so hard, but save your money because afterwards we're going to take this trip through this part of Europe, and we're going to go through Germany, and, and we'll have some time to sites, and you'll want to save your money for then. So he and his friend worked really hard. And my daughter and I enjoyed the Congress. And I spoke on the last day. It was Sunday. And I spoke Sunday morning. And then Sunday afternoon, I went back to the hotel room just to rest before the closing meeting that evening, and Mara was asleep, and the phone rang. And it was my friend, and she said, "Anne, our plans have changed, and we've decided we're not going to go down through Germany, and we're not going to tour Europe. We've had a special opportunity to go to Switzerland. So we're going to fly to Switzerland, and I'm sorry that means we won't be able to do things with you, but I hope you get along okay. And, and I told her I was glad that she could go to Switzerland. I knew how much it meant to her, and I hung up the phone, and I felt like somebody hit me in the stomach. And I got down on my knees and said, God, I mean, I was stunned. And I said, what am I going to do? My hotel reservation runs out tomorrow, and this place is booked. I'm not going to have a hotel room. If I could rent a car, if there was one available, I can't even drive a block in Amsterdam. I don't know if you've been there. So many bicycles, I would have killed myself and about 50 other people within a block. (laughs) I can't drive by myself. And I have... Three children or three teenagers now, Jonathan, his friend, and Mar, depending on me to take them on a special trip. My plane reservations aren't to the end of this week. I can't change the plane ticket or there'll be a huge penalty. I just have to buy four more plane tickets, which I couldn't afford. What am I going to do? And I began to cry. And I was just sitting there. I was desperate. Everybody I knew was leaving. There was nobody I could turn to. And to my mind, God brought a verse, "And I want to do for you more abundantly than you can think to ask. And I said, well, God, let's just see. (laughs) This is Sunday afternoon. The fire will hit the fan in the morning, Monday morning, when I have to check out of this hotel. I was just so upset. And I said, God, just to see if you're going to do this, I'm not going to tell anybody. So we'll just see. If you're going to do for me more abundantly, then you're not going to get any help from me. And... (laughs) When Mara woke up, I shared with her what my friend had done, and she was so angry. So I shared with Mara the verse that I felt like God had given me, and we got down on our knees, and we prayed together. And I went to the Congress that night. I had to tell Jonathan and his friend. They were so sweet about it. And I just kept saying, God, do you see, you know. And so we went through the meeting that night. After the meeting, because I'd spoken that morning, people recognized me, and they caught me, and I stayed there probably to about midnight. Missed my ride. Mara and I had to walk back to our hotel in the rain, not as rainy as this morning, but drizzling. Got to the hotel after midnight, and hadn't eaten supper. We're walking past the dining room, and my friend was there with a whole long table full of people, so probably a dozen people seated at this table. And I was trying to tiptoe past the door of the dining room, and, and she called out to me and said, Ann, come join us for supper. And I said, no, I'm just tired. I want to go to bed. Ann, come on, join us. And they all called, and, and I was hungry. So Mara and I went, and we sat at the table across from a man that I had met that morning, but I really didn't know who he was or anything about him. And so after we ordered and everything, the man said, well, Ann, when are you going back to America? Just like a stab, you know. And I said, well, not till later at the end of this week. And he said, what are you going to do between now and then? And I looked at him, I tried to look at him, and I said, You know, I don't know. My plans have just changed. And then I changed the side. I just didn't want to talk about it. And after a few minutes, he said, Anne, why don't you come to London? We're having a wedding. Prince Andrew is marrying Lady Sarah, and it's festive time in London. I think you would enjoy coming to London. Why don't you come to London for this week? and I said no thank you I can't come to London and inside I was getting angrier because I was saying God I can't go to Switzerland I can't go to Germany I can't go to L- what are you going to do for me more abundantly than you think to ask and where can I go and so you know this was going on inside but I'd made other conversation the man came back to me in a few minutes and he said "Anne, I'll tell you what he said why don't you come to London and I was mad so I said alright I'll give you three reasons I'm not going to London Number one I've got three teenagers with me and myself and that would be three plane tickets and all the expense of being there for a week I can't afford it. I don't have the money and number two even if I had the money I wouldn't be able to get plane tickets this fast or be able to make transportation hotel reservations I just practically I couldn't carry it out three. I'm too tired to talk about it And so I just I was rude and I meant to be rude because I wanted him to be quiet. It hurt so bad So after a few minutes this very persistent man came back and he said, "Anne, I'll take care of your first two reasons if you take care of the third. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, what did you say? And he said, "Anne, I will have first thing in the morning four prepaid plane tickets at the front desk in your hotel. I'll give you spending money. I'll provide my chauffeur-driven car for you. They'll meet you at the airport. You can stay in my club in London if you'll just make the decision to come. And at that point, my heart softened. And, uh, <laughs> but I still said no. Because I said, I can't accept a gift like that from a perfect stranger. I promise you, this is what this man said. And God is wanting to do for you more abundantly than you can think of ask. And we went to London, didn't we? <laughs> and it was a life's lesson I never ever want to forget that when you're willing to let go of everything your rights I mean I could have jerked my friend upside down and you know and held her to her word instead I let it go and look what God did for me and maybe it won't be as dramatic in your life and Abram didn't really have possession of all that land in fact today they still don't have possession of all the land do they one day they'll have it all but God poured out his blessing on Abram. Abram on the inside had the freedom of knowing he was right with God. And he was in the place of God's blessing. And God's blessing lasts forever. It's eternal. And Lot was insisting on what he wanted. He wouldn't let go of his banana. In the end, he had nothing but ashes in his hand. So this is my challenge to you. Would you stop worrying about the monkeys? Stop looking at them and their houses and their gold and their possessions their prestige their reputation their success just put your focus on god and remember his personal command to you to leave everything And the radical promise that if you leave everything, you'll pour out his blessing and you'll be a blessing. In the process, you'll come to know him and you can make him known. And other people in your life and the life of your family will see Jesus reflected. And you keep your focus on God and his word to you. And you just let everything go that you might receive what he wants to give you. And let me tell you from personal experience, what he wants to give you is more than you could ever think to want for yourself. Would you pray with me, please? And just in the quietness of this moment, I just don't want to make an assumption that's too broad in the event there's someone here clutching a banana, something you won't let go of, and it's keeping you from embracing the magnificent obsession for yourself, totally, wholly. And God says if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. But you can't seek him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength as long as you're holding on to whatever that is. Would you let it go? And I expect most of us here have got some monkeys in our life. And they can become so discouraging. And actually it can create a little resentment deep down. Because they live so well and they seem to have it all not only the worldly things but God tacked onto their lives and a Christian reputation maybe they even have a little ministry sort of and here we are living by ourselves under a tree in a tent in the desert getting walked over and what's it for? Oh listen to me, it's for him he had it all didn't he? a throne in heaven, ivory palaces, and he left it all and came down to just walk, sandal-shod feet, homespun, in the dust of Judea, gave it all up for us. Oh, it's a privilege to give it all up for him. So Lord, we just bow before you now and we thank you that for whatever reason, it's just by your grace you've given us eyes that are lifted up past the world, the heavenly things. And the longing and the desire in our hearts is not for what this world offers, it's for what the next world offers. We live our lives with eternity in view. So Lord, we just apologize. We're sorry when we get distracted and out of focus and... We thank you for using this lesson to refocus us on you and your call in our lives. Never mind the lots. Never mind the monkeys. Oh, dear God, we choose to follow you, put you first in our lives. We want to know you and to make you known. We want to receive your blessing and be a blessing. We want other people to see Jesus in us. We want what you want to give us more than what we want. So, Lord, if we go through some dry times, some hard times, some difficult times, some poor times, so be it. We know how the story ends. And we look forward to walking through those pearly gates on those streets of gold and receiving the reward and the treasure that you've laid up for us. And, oh, Lord, really the treasure is just you. And we'd rather have you than anything else. And so we commit ourselves to you to let it all go for the joy of having you in a fresh way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: You've been listening to Living in the Light with Ann Graham Lotz. She invites you to embrace the God-filled life. And to give you a hand in doing that, there are a number of helpful and encouraging free resources available to you at annegrahmlotz.org. Join us here again next week for Living in the Light. Now here's Anne with this final word:
0: Trust God, embrace Him and what He has for you. Let go of everything else and let Him do for you more abundantly than you can think to ask.